morning, everybody. How we doing? Everybody doing good? Wow, nobody's doing good at all. I got no interaction. Come on, let's wake up. Good morning, everybody. How we doing? That's, that's better. That's better. Hey, we are in week two of Prove It. All right, we're walking through the book of James. We're calling this series Prove It because James, over and over again, basically shares uh, that same sentiment. That if you're going to follow Jesus, uh, your life should prove it. Now, a real Christian doesn't just talk about being a Christian, all right? They live it out. And uh, my wife is going to be mad at me, but she's with kids today, so just don't wrap me out, okay? Because uh, this is another football example, and I'm just sorry. It's football season. Let's go, all right? It's been a good weekend. Uh, but there is a reason that they play football games every Saturday, all right? It's to see who's better, to who actually plays better that day. Uh, it's not who says they are better. It's not who's better on paper. It's not who has the most five-star recruits. It's not who has the best players. Uh, none of those things matter if you don't show up on game day. On game day, you've got to prove that I'm better than the other team. That's why they play the games. Every year, there are teams, and they're hyped up, and everybody is talking about how they're going to do great. And then when those games don't live up to the hype, uh, it doesn't work out for that team, Right? Like a few years, seasons ago, Texas started out in the top 10 and they had like a losing record the season before because everybody thought they were back. And you know what happened? They quickly fell out of the top 25, right? They play the games for a reason. You have to prove it. You can't just say that we're back. You can't just say that we're good. You can't just say that we've got it together. You have to actually go and show it. You have to prove it by your actions. And so my hope for this series is that when your faith is tested, all right, on that game day, you Prove it. You prove that your faith is up to the task. That your faith isn't just words, but it's something that you're going to live out. Because we can't work to get our faith, but if our faith doesn't manifest itself in our actions, uh, we've missed it. And so last week, what we talked about is how uh, when we have faith, uh, it, we could be able to count it all joy when we fall into um, trying situations. It's not that the situation is enjoyable, but because we can grow in those situations that, hear me on this, God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste any pain. There's purpose in all of it. So I don't know the week you've had. I don't know the month you've had. I don't know the year you've had. Uh, but you can be encouraged in the truth that God doesn't waste any of the pain you've endured. He doesn't. That's really what we talked about last week. Today we're going to pick it up at verse 16. All right, James 1, uh, verse 16. It starts like this. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. I got to pause, all right? I didn't make it very far, and there wasn't a ton in that verse, right? Don't be misled, uh, my dear brothers and sisters. I got to tell you guys what happened to us on Friday night. Uh, Friday night we went out to eat uh, with some friends. So it was two families, uh, two families of five. Uh, so two families of five, you go out to eat. That's a party of 10 on a Friday night. It's going to be really fun. And so we go to this place, and they don't have anywhere to sit us. Uh, hey, we don't have anywhere, but we have immediate seating right now if you're okay uh, being split up into two booths. All right? So we hear, we hear that, that uh, they've got seating for us if we split up into two booths. What do both dads do? Hey. Right? We immediately look at the kids. You guys are going to be sitting by yourself. Mom and dad are right there at the adjoining booth, but I need you to be on your best behavior. You give them the stare. Don't go crazy, right? Don't go buck wild when we get in there. 
Uh, kids are doing good. Uh, it, this was pretty quick, so who knows if they would have done well without this. But uh, they see a friend that's there. friend is there eating with grandma and grandpa. And somehow grandma and grandpa's standards for what they allow the kids to do are different than mom and dad's standards for what they allow the kids to do. So that's a little different there. But uh, they see this friend. friend finishes dinner. He comes over and sits with them because they have plenty of, plenty of room. And I don't know who instigated uh, the madness that began at that booth that was just right behind us. Uh, but there were many children at that table being misled, all right? Said, so do not be misled. Uh, somehow, I don't, I don't even know how this happened, right? They're having like sword fights with like steak knives. They had like, we confiscated from them like nine steak knives. There's only five of them sitting at the table. How is this, like, where are they getting these from? Uh, they are going crazy. And so uh, just a little food for thought, something for you to chew on. Uh, sometimes it just takes that one wrong person uh, to connect you with some bad decisions. And those bad decisions, they start to multiply. Like they were already excited. They got the game face from dad. Hey, don't be crazy. Uh, but then their friend came up and guess what? Woohoo! They were going to be excited. They were going to have so much fun. Uh, and so sometimes all it takes is that one wrong person to connect with. And those bad decisions, they start to snowball. They start to multiply. But the opposite is true too. So other times all it takes is connecting with the right person for those great and good things to start multiplying, for those good things to start snowballing. And so I just want to pause right here and say, hey, next Sunday is Circle Sunday. We can get there. Come on, all right, let's pretend that didn't happen, right? So, hey, uh, next week is Circle Sunday. Hey, much better. Hey, it is a great opportunity to come have some fun at church, have some food at church, uh, and... It's all free, all right? But more than that, it is an amazing way to get connected to the right people. The right people. Not perfect people, but people who are doing their best to walk with Jesus. Can I tell you, uh, I need that, you need that, we all need that. There are people around you who need that. I, I know some of you guys are like, yeah, I'm in my community group, I got it going on, I know what I'm doing. Uh, it's not all about you. What about the people around you who need to be connected to the right people? So, hey, be sure and be here next week for Circle Sunday. It is going to be fun. Uh, and bring someone with you, all right? There's somebody who needs to be connected with the right people, who needs to come to church and just have a good time. All right, I'll quit repping Circle Sunday and I'll hop back to the text. All right, that first verse, don't be misled, brothers and sisters. Verse 17, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Every good and perfect gift in your life is from God. Every good and perfect gift is from God. And God never changes. He never changes. Um, you know, they always say like the sun will come up tomorrow. I want you to think about this. Like God never changes just like the sun is always shining. Like the sun has never not shone, all right? It's always shining. It never stops shining. It's light. Let me pull on this for just a minute. Uh, if it never stops shining, why are there parts of the earth that get dark even though the sun still shines? Uh, it's because the earth keeps turning, all right? Because the earth rotates and it turns away from the sun. There are spots that become dark where there's no light. There's darkness, so God, he is consistently shining his goodness, his truth, his grace, uh, and the application for us is to, uh, to turn 
to him, to not turn away from him. Because there is no darkness in God. There is no dark side of him. So if we're living a life in darkness, we've got to do the same thing the earth does, all right? We've got to turn to the Father, turn to the Son. Because every good thing in your life is from God. Every good thing in your life is from God. And he never changes. So that truth that the good things in your life are from God, that is just as much true uh, 20 years ago as it is today, as it will be 20 years from now. The good things in your life are there from God. Hebrews 13, 8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Every good gift in your life is from God, and God doesn't change. Don't turn away from him. Right, when you feel that darkness, turn to him. Turn to him. James 1, verse 18 says this, he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all of creation, are his prized possession. Now, there's a lot happening in this verse, and without understanding some other parts in the Bible, uh, it might confuse us, all right? He chose to give birth to us, all right? That's like, what? I'm pretty sure he wasn't there when I was born, all right? Uh, who is, uh, sorry, James is writing this letter, like he said at the beginning, to his brothers and sisters in the faith. So this is to Christians. This is to us Christians, all right? He chose to give birth to Christians by giving us his true word. He doesn't mean a literal birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth. Uh, Jesus talked about this uh, to Nicodemus. And you see this in John 3, verse 4. It says this, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. You guys can't see me right now. I saw it on all y'all's faces. But if I do the wave, does it look like an iPod commercial? Uh, so, hey. I'm going to keep reading this verse. It's John 3, verse, we back. Um, so Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. <clears throat> Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born Again, so James, what he's saying here is that not that we need to be literally born again. He's saying we need to receive God's true word. We need to receive God's true word. And in John uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. It says this in verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So to put this all together, he chose to give birth to us by giving his, us his true word. What is his true word? According to John right there, the word is Jesus. So he's saying, by accepting Jesus, we have new life. We have been rebirthed by receiving him. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. He gave us a, spiritual, a new spiritual life by giving us Jesus. And out of all creation, we are God's, no, God is our number one fan, right? He is, we are his prized possession. And there's two reasons for that, two reasons that we are God's prized possession. Uh, it says this in Genesis, the first is that uh, we are different from all creation, and the reason that we're different is 
everyone in here, you are made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God. Uh, Genesis 1:27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Uh, there is nothing on earth as valuable as a human life. All life is valuable. Uh, but if there was an animal struggling in a pool to stay above the water and there was a baby struggling in a pool to stay above water, um, there's consensus we say the baby first, right? Like we are different from all of creation. Right? It's not even a question. And the reason isn't that we don't care about that animal, right? That's because that baby is made in the image of God. It's of a greater value. So that's the first reason that we are God's prized possession. Uh, the second is what it costs for God to make a way to us. To make a way for us to be with him, to restore our relationship with God. Uh, to do that, it costs God his son, Jesus. Jesus gave up his life so that we could be made right with God. That's a steep price. The more you pay for something, the more you care about it. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this. When you get something new, uh, you really want to take care of it. Like you're worried about it. We just got Kelsey a new car, and then we've had all these rules of like things that we used to be able to do for my children. Things they used to be able to do in the car that are no longer allowed in the car. Like, hey, you need to wake up five minutes earlier because you're not eating breakfast in mom's car anymore, right? You're eating at the table. No more crumbs in there, all right? The more you pay for something, the more you uh, value it. You treat it a little bit differently. And God valued you so much that he gave his one and only son. That's a steep price. You are made in God's image and you were bought by the blood of Jesus. Because of those two things, you are God's prized possession out of all of creation, of everything. And how did you become this? It says by his true word. That is to say, you know Jesus. You've heard the gospel, you've heard the good news, and you've accepted it. Because remember, James is talking to the fellow believers in the faith. You are God's prized possession. The point being right here, you are incredibly valuable to God. Incredibly valuable to God. I don't know if you feel incredibly valuable. Sometimes life can beat you up, can make you feel like maybe I'm not worth as much as I once was. Regardless of how you feel, you are incredibly valuable to God. Can I get an amen on that? All right. Neither of these truths change. You are made in the image of God, and God gave his son so you could be with him. You are his prized possession. He loves you. So whether you're feeling a little beat up or you're feeling great, doesn't matter. Those two truths, they don't change. You are incredibly valuable to God. He loves you. All right, then we're going to keep going. James, he kind of shifts gears here. He's been talking about kind of uh, our vertical relationship with God. Like this is what he's cost. You're his prized possession. He loves you. You're valuable to him. And now he's going to talk about our horizontal relationships, our relationships with others. Uh, James 1 verse 19 says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I can't think of a more timely word than that right now. Uh, most of our world is the exact opposite of that. We're slow to listen, we're quick to speak, and uh, we're quick to be 
angry. It's funny because I can see who's like smiling when I do this because when these go off, I can actually see you, but you guys can't see me. It's really funny. Uh, so, hey, I can't think of a more timely word than that right there. We are to be, well, our world, it really is slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. So in the, a world full of outrage, how are we different? In a world that's full of outrage, how are we to be different? Because here's the truth. Your behavior shows what you really believe. And there are too many people who are Jesus followers, and they will share their opinions aggressively and become angry with those who have a differing view than them. It's not uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's the opposite of that. There's an old farmer saying, uh, I've heard it by a ton of people, but it just says, never mess, wrestle with the pigs. You both get dirty and the pig liked it. You both get dirty and the pig liked it. Um, I think that's happening a lot in our world. We're fighting with each other. And I just don't know if that combativeness is really uh, what we should be striving for. I don't think that's a fruit of the Spirit. We need to be uh, promoting unity and harmony about what God has done for us. Not to tear things apart. So what, what does it look like for you to be quick to listen? Uh, I'm just, side note, this isn't in my notes, but uh, has anybody ever been cut off by somebody and they tell you correct information and they cut you off and you feel so honored that they told you the truth, you were like, I'm so thankful that you cut me off to share that with me. It, it doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen like that, all right? Uh, but what would it look like to be quick to listen, to let someone share their complete side of the story before you interject? All right, to be slow to speak, to, to ask clarifying questions instead of filling them with condescending comments. And regardless of how they respond, you are resolved to have a slow and long trigger towards anger. There's no temper flare-ups. Right, can I be honest with you? Uh, if you have this kind of life, the kind of life that James is talking about here, where we're, we're slow to speak, we're quick to listen, and we're slow to anger. To have that life. When you meet someone, you have a deep conviction issue where you disagree on what you believe. Instead of yelling at them, being angry with them, when you disagree about a deep conviction issue, you'll weep for them. You'll pray for them. When was the last time you prayed for someone you disagreed with? If you're like me, that hurt a little bit, all right? That was not fun typing out, and then I'm gonna say this. When was the last time you prayed for someone you disagree with? We all have room to grow. God's not finished working in you. He's not. We should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Uh, and it says this, it, uh, this is why we should be slow to anger. In James 1, verse 20, it says this, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Have you ever tried to produce something uh, with human anger? All right, you ever tried to get your kids to do something with anger, they're kind of like, to sell them on it. Uh, it might work for a minute. Um, 
I, yeah, I mean, I've had my kids, all right? I've had one child in particular. He will remain nameless. Uh, it's clearly not Kinley, though. I just I knocked that one. You got a 50% chance of getting it right. Uh, but uh, I, like, you know how you can just see your kids posturing and, like, positioning? Like, they are getting ready to do something they know they shouldn't do. But I can see it in his little eyes and the way he's moving around, what's going to happen. And I, I give him the eyeballs, like, boy, don't, you know, you start talking to your teeth. And you're, boy, don't you dare do that. You know, you don't do it. And so what happens is this. When I'm around, uh, they don't do it. As soon as I leave, what happens? They do it. Right? The righteousness that God desires cannot be coerced by a man. We can't force people to do the righteousness that God desires. It doesn't work like that. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. When you have a disagreement with someone, I don't know why we should try. I don't know why we think this way. It just, I think it's human nature, but we feel like we can win an argument with someone and they'll, become, they'll come to the faith. We can win an argument to someone and they'll come to our side of this particular issue. Why, why would we think that? Again, have you ever thought, man, they said that in such a condescending and smart way, I'm going to hop to their side. It's, it's never happened, right? Because the righteousness God desires cannot be coerced by man. It doesn't work like that. The best way to encourage righteousness, the righteousness that God desires, is to walk in that same way. Not to tell them, not to tell them only, you have to show them. You have to show them. James 1.21 says this, so get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. James is telling us that right here that instead of seeking to change other people with our own means, change yourself by God's word, live a pure and good life, humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, it has the power to save you. Get rid of all filth and evil in your life. Um, it says that because you become what you consume. Uh, you become what you can consume. You are a product of the things that you've taken in. And this is true in a physical sense. You remember those old commercials, you are what you eat, where the lady's like eating a honey bun and she's got like honey bun butts, the guy's eating a donut, he's got like a giant waist where it's a donut. You become what you eat. It's just, it's true. Uh, not only physically, but it's also true in our spiritual and our mental health. This is just true. Uh, when you are around negative people, guess what? You're gonna become negative. When you're around positive people, you're gonna become more positive. You if you become what you consume, you need to get rid of all the filth and all the evil in your lives. Evil and filth might be uh, removing a toxic relationship. Maybe it's getting off social media. Uh, and and maybe, maybe this one's some of y'all. Uh, maybe it's just not ruminating on past failures and shortcomings. Can I tell you, for me, one of the biggest things I have to do is uh, I have that highlight reel of myself of like, fails. It's like that YouTube video of fail videos where it's like people are getting hurt and stuff. Like, does anybody do that to themselves? Like, you remember everything that you've ever messed up on when you said that awkwardly in that conversation. Why did I say that? I didn't, uh, you wish you could have those moments back. Maybe removing some evil and filth would be quit ruminating on those things. 
Uh, maybe it's blocking a website that you frequently visit. I don't know what filth and evil is present, but whatever it is, get it out of there. Nothing good will happen from keeping it around. The longer it's there, the deeper its roots will grow. James 1, 21, let's read it again. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your soul. You need to humbly accept the word God has planted in your heart because it has the power uh, to save your soul. Uh, to be in the word, to, you have to be in the word to accept the word. You have to be in the word to accept the word. You can't accept something that's not with you, right? Uh, guys, the word of God has the power to transform your life. Uh, when are we going to take that seriously? As much as I love opening God's word and communicating with you guys every week um, and sharing it with you, uh, but this, what we're doing right here, right now, uh, this is only supplemental to your faith. I don't know if you, if you realize that. that. This should only be supplemental to what your personal intake is in the word of God. If uh, you want to spend time getting into God's word today, uh, just got, um, let me pause real quick. Uh, there are a lot of people that will say this is the right way to do something. Uh, and I don't want to say that this is the right way. I want to say this is a way. Uh, a lot of people want the fruit, and when they see someone with great fruit, they go and ask for their watering schedule like you would for a gardener. They want that same fruit. They want that same watering schedule. I don't really care about the watering schedule. I just want you guys to be fruitful. I don't care how you get there. I don't care what that looks like. Spend time in the Word. So I'm going to give you a way, not the only way. Um, we have these, we tried to get these week one, they were back ordered, so we just got them. It's the book of James, uh, as we're going through this series, uh, and it has just, on one side it's got the verses, on the other side it's empty, um, just an empty page on that side right there. And as we spend six more weeks diving into this book, I'd like for everyone who just, you know what, you want to say, I want to be serious about getting into God's word. Take one of these. Uh, take notes in it on Sunday. That'd be cool too. More than that, I want you to get in this word and read it for yourself. Again, I don't care about the watering schedule. Maybe you want to do a page a day and write out a prayer on the other side. Maybe you want to do a paragraph a day and kind of summarize it over there on the side. Maybe you want to do a chapter a day. Whatever you want. Take time to get into God's word. I promise he will show up. Uh, you won't see a bigger smile on my face if then after service today, uh, somebody tells me we've got to order more of these, right? We need to get serious about getting into the word. Let's keep going. James 1, verse 22 through 25. We're going to read all these together, then we'll break it down. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey the word, it is like glancing into a mirror. Glancing at your face in that mirror, you see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. 
Don't just listen to it. Don't just read it. Do what it says. Again, I, I love y'all. I'm so grateful for every person in this room. Uh, if the extent of your Christian walk is coming and singing some songs and listening to someone speak on stage on a Sunday, you're missing out on a lot in your faith. You're missing out on a lot. Just coming and listening. You gotta do it. Uh, let, me, let me give you an example of this about how listening and doing are two different things. Uh, who wants some interaction? Raise your hand. Who would like to retire early? Who's like, early retirement? That sounds, yeah, sign me up. Uh, if your hand isn't raised, what's wrong with you, okay? Uh, we'd all like to retire early. Um, again, uh, how do you get to early retirement? There, there's really only like one way, and there's different ways of doing this, uh, but it's invest more money and invest it earlier, right? Like, everybody knows that. Like, you got to invest that money so that your money makes you money. And the earlier you do that, the better it's going to be. All right, don't raise your hands, all right? Uh, but what if we said... Uh, who's on the right path to retire as early as they want, I doubt there'd be as many hands raised. You know it. You've listened to it. You've heard people talk about it, but you haven't done it. It's not about knowing and hearing the right things. It's about doing the right things. You have to put feet to your faith. We don't have an information problem. We have an initiation problem. We know the things we should do, there's no shortage of information. The disconnect is in us actually carrying them out and doing them. James describes it like looking into a mirror and examining your face. And then when you walk away, you forget what you look like. Uh, when was the last time you sat in front of the mirror and, and gave your face a good look? That could be an unwanted dose of reality. <laughs> All right, Because uh, regardless of how I'm feeling, uh, the mirror, it tells us the truth. It shows us what is it says when we look into God's law it's going to do the same thing it's going to do the same thing when we look at the law of God when we look at the law of God what you're going to find is uh, even if we just took the ten commandments and we just walked through them uh, that's a standard that I can't keep up with Joe can't keep up with y'all can't keep up with like God's law there is a, a mark that is so high None of us will, you will never be enough to hit that mark. Sounds like freedom, doesn't it? No. Uh, but he says that God's perfect law sets you free. How does not being enough sound anything like, like freedom? And the point he's getting at is here, when you see the law and you see, I don't measure up. I'm not enough. It shows the need for someone greater to come up. It shows the need for a savior. It shows our need for Jesus. So we don't just listen to the word or read the word and do nothing about it. We need to be a doer of the word. We don't have an information problem. We know the things to do. We have an initiation problem. You have to put into action the things you know. There's this... Uh, famous dead guy, all right? His name is John Wimber. Um, he's one of the founders of the Vineyard Movement, it's a, a group of churches. Uh, some described him as the, the father of modern worship music, all right? Uh, but here's, here's the deal. John Wimber, he came from this uh, godless background, no, no church history uh, before coming a Christian. Uh, and when he came to church, like, like everything in the church was a revelation to him, like, like everything. Like, he'd come up to you like, did you know God has a book? 
like at church, did you know God has a book? And they'd be like, yes, we did. It's the Bible. Who is this guy, you know? And then he'd be like, have you read the book? They'd be like, yes, we've read the Bible. He'd be like, do you know about Jesus? Have you heard about Jesus? This revelation, have you heard about him? They'd say, yes, we know about Jesus. Come on. And he'd be like, amazing. So, so when do we do the stuff in his book? Hmm. Real confident in the first answer is not so much in the last one. His, his question, if I could boil it down, is really this. When do we do the Jesus stuff? When do we do the stuff Jesus told us to do? When do we do the Jesus stuff? It's not about listening. It's not about reading. It's about doing. You have to go do it. Here's what Jesus said. This is the words of Jesus. He said this in Luke 6, uh, verse 46. It says, why do you keep calling me Lord when you don't do what I say? Why do you keep calling me Lord when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, they listen to my teaching, and then they follow it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep, lays a foundation on the solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it is built well. Verse 49, but anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person whose house is built right on the ground without a foundation when the flood sweeps against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Can you really say Jesus is your Lord and Savior if you just simply listen to him? I'm just gonna listen, I'm not gonna do it. Can you really say he's your Lord? I'm your pastor. I love you guys. I just want to be direct. There are many each and every Sunday that walk into a church building and their lives are not built on the rock. Their lives are built on the sand. And they want to come. They want to hear the word, uh, but have no desire to obey and do what the word says. Don't call Jesus Lord if you don't follow what he says. This is the person who listens and does what Jesus says is like the person who builds their foundation on the rock. It's more work to build on the rock. You have to dig down. It takes more time. It takes more effort. But when the storm comes, it stands firm because it rests upon the rock. Listening to the word and doing what the word says will be more work. I'm not trying to sell you something that it's not. It's not going to be easy. It will require you to change. It will require, require you to be uncomfortable. But guess what? When the water rises and the wind blows, you don't have to worry. Because I'm resting on the rock. Jesus, I will not be shaken. I'm grateful that my life is built on Jesus because whatever happens in my life, I will not be shaken. God's word promises that. He is my refuge, my safe place. And because I believe that, because I've heard that and I believe that, guess what? 
I behave that way. I try to do, imperfectly as it may be, I try to do what God desires for me to do. God's not looking for perfect Jesus followers. He's looking for us just to follow him. If I was to ask you, are you a more mature Christian today than you were a year ago? Not that you know more about the word. That's, that's not maturity. Are you more mature in that? I do more than what the word says. This series, all right, I'm going back. Does your life prove it? Does your life prove it? Uh, James 1, verse 26. Just got two more verses. Uh, if you claim to be religious, but you can't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. This is one way to prove it. Uh, we're gonna go into a deep dive in this in chapter three when we get there. But if you claim Christ, you need control over your tongue. If your faith doesn't change the way you talk and the way you walk, maybe your faith needs some work. Uh, Jesus or James, he was a little more direct there. He actually said your faith was worthless. Uh, last verse uh, of this chapter, and we're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, it's verse 27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God. God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Pure and genuine religion means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Since two things make for genuine religion. To care for the vulnerable, that's what James is getting at there. He specifically calls out we need to care for the orphans and the widows. He's saying that because they are vulnerable people. He says, refuse to let the world corrupt you. Using just that right there as, as a rubric to evaluate your faith. Not what you say, not what you say you believe, but how you behave. Using that to evaluate your faith. How you doing? Are you caring for the vulnerable, the orphans, the widows? Do you refuse to let the world corrupt you? Or does your life look a lot like the guys down the street who, who doesn't know who Jesus is? Again, I love you guys. I'm your pastor. I want to be straightforward and direct with you. Your life should look different than those people who don't know Jesus. I'm not calling you out, I'm calling you up. It shouldn't match the lives of those who don't know Jesus. God loves you. There's no amount of work you can do to earn that love. I'm not saying you gotta go be the super Christians that God will love you. He already does. You can't earn it. I'm saying if you claim to be a Christian, if your faith is in God, prove it. Prove it by the way you talk. Prove it by the way you treat your spouse. Prove it by the way you work. Prove it by the way you care for the vulnerable around you. Prove it by refusing to let the world corrupt you. Don't just say it. Prove it. Don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. Let's pray.